welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. So I thought I was going to be really delayed in getting this podcast online, but as it turned out, I'm back and I'm ready to go. And I do want to say just one thing preliminarily that has nothing to do with the podcast per se, and that is that I just came back from a celebratory memorial service for a friend of mine who died in June, an elderly lady, 84 years old, and uh, her death was relatively sudden in the sense that I had just seen her with another friend, another English friend, they were both English, and to celebrate her birthday on February 28th of 2021 and things were good for both of them and uh, then suddenly both were in the hospital and this person Barbara Jacobson died. The memorial was at Harvard Westlake School where she taught for many years and it was an extraordinarily wonderful event quite frankly with videos from England. She was born in Cornwall and from the various friends here, including former students. So it was a moving event and uh, once again reminding me how quickly life passes, something we all experience over our lives, especially as we get older. Once again, a suggestion from my kind fan and the confluence of watching a documentary hosted by the actor who played Jesus in 1977 in a Franco Zeffirelli film provided me the subject of today's podcast. My friend said that she had been talking to someone and they got onto the subject of Jesus. And this friend said something like, oh, he was this nice man, a good man, a man to emulate. But that was pretty much it. There were lots of people like that. I think even Catholics among us, even me sometimes, I think you just sort of say, oh yeah, he was this nice guy we underestimate him or understate him. Why should we look to a nice guy with any intensity from a religious point of view? The second thing that got me to want to talk about today's subject was, as I said, watching this program. Robert Powell, the Jesus of Jesus of Nazareth, for my money, the best of the presentations of the story of Christ on film, went to Israel. Now the movie from 77 actually wasn't filmed in Israel but in Morocco. In this documentary, Robert Powell goes to the real place in search of the real Jesus. Parenthetically, it was kind of jarring to see Robert Powell 44 years after he was on the screen as Jesus, mesmerizingly so, looking the way a normal man does at the age of 77, like an English professor with a bit of a paunch. Although he said that people recognize him even today, uh, as he looks today from that film. I try to approach this effort in podcasting as a moderately educated ordinary Catholic grappling, along with you, with some of the most challenging theological concepts that are quite frankly critical, ultimately, to choosing or staying in the faith and deciding that it has the fullness of the truth of how to be saved. But 
anytime I talk about the theological stuff in relation to my grappling and yours, I know that I'm a bit over my head in many, if not most ways, in the details. But the overarching story, the outline, the whys and the wherefores just make sense to me in a way that nothing else does. And even if I had the theological niceties to articulate well, and to the extent I do have some understanding of them, they could never be done in a little podcast of this type. Besides, not even the most brilliant theologian can grasp God. None of us can. We are mere humans, and God, well, he's God. What I think I hope is that when you hear a discussion like the one today, that it might send you to the treatises, to interesting professors, to priests, either those who write or those you know personally, to writers who might be able to help you as they do me in particular questions with which I tussle. And this one is gigantic. So here's the question. Who do you say Jesus was and is? All other religions and branches of our own Christianity, we Catholics say, have elements of the truth. They aim for the truth. They seek the truth. But ultimately, all their founders lacked a capacity, for they were solely and imperfectly human, to save us from ourselves and to reconnect us to the Creator, whom we disobeyed. From and after the fall, did we think that mankind could redeem itself? Could any or some of its constituents redeem the rest of us? Good people could offer the need for salvation, for redemption, for repentance. But the fall was so profound that what was needed to restore the relationship between man and God was something extraordinary, a unique, a particular kind of bridge, a particular kind of joining of God back to man or man back to God. So, you remember when Jesus asked two questions in Matthew, the first being, who do people say I am? And he got the answers related to good, brave, brilliant, powerful in a way, one-natured humans, Elijah or John the Baptist. But it was Peter, upon hearing the second question, who do you say I am, who got it, the full-on reality dawning on him after Jesus' very death and resurrection. It sure takes a lot for us to get it, doesn't it? And he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who is anointed, the Messiah. But what is he to Catholics and most other of those who claim to be Christians now? Nice man, prophet, teacher, teacher of good morals, these seem almost like insults, given the potential reality. It's almost as if we who have been raised Catholics, those of us who have come back to be Catholics, those of us who are Christians generally, who are in accord with the theology of the Catholic faith up to a point, that what he is, what he was and what he is, is fully God and fully man. He is the word that was with God, the Father, from the beginning. He is God, the Father's utterance, the Logos, 
the Word, and by that utterance of God the Father became man and remained both God and man in perfect union. We Catholics and other Christians with variations, which are really mind-bending in their theological disputation, say the following creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds with the Father and the Son. Here is, parenthetically, is where Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, have one of our disputes, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Nicene Creed, which comes from the year 325, came before all the splits from Catholicism and was accepted by all Christians, and is still accepted by many or most today. Remember that the breaks and the disputes of Christianity only come in about the 16th century, at least the official breakings start then, and then they led to so many splinters that still happen today. The creed is elegant and simple in its expression of the mystery of the triune God. Popular programs trying to document Christ go out of their way, it seems to me, not only to focus on Jesus' humanity, find explanations for his charisma, for his miracles, for what he understood about the end times and what others understood in political times, and not only seem to avoid the issue of his divinity, but to the extent they're forced to deal with it, show a patronizing contempt for anyone holding the idea of it when they say or imply that he's just like Buddha, he's just like Muhammad, he's just like John the Baptist. It almost seems to be a desire to hide the reality or the possibility, let's say, because a lot of people don't believe it's a reality, the possibility that he may in fact have been divine as well as human. There was to me a little bit of that in the program I watched, Seeking the Real Jesus, which I think was the History Channel. But I otherwise loved it. I thought in many ways that the way Robert Powell talked about Jesus and the movie he was in, and remember he's the host of this documentary, he advertised the program, and when he spoke about his experience of having played Jesus in the movie, I thought he came close, really close to something real and true. and. 
I'm not sure it can be captured by the human mind. And I think Powell understands that in his expression in this interview he did. Let me read most of it, some of it, I think it's most of it to you, and then give you a little bit of my thoughts. This is what he said. It's been very different returning to the story of Jesus because I was returning to the story of Jesus in a completely different way. This was one of the reasons I wanted to do the series, meaning the series about the real Jesus. Originally, 40 years ago, I was avoiding Jesus completely. Franco Zeffirelli and I originally thought that we could combine the divine Christ with the human one and that we would be able to show the human side of him, but we discovered that it was just not possible. You go as an actor and work subjectively, but the moment you try to play him as a real person, you lose the divinity completely. With this story, the most important element that this character has to be is extraordinary. So from that moment on, I played it objectively, without any recourse to giving him any particular idiosyncrasies, quite deliberately avoiding the normal human things. To try and play a god and get the idea of it is a shortcut to a nervous breakdown, so I backed off completely. I found a way of doing it that was counter to the actor's normal approach. The reason for Jesus' success over 2,000 years plus is the fact that he is whoever you wish him to be. He is not a person. He is not a person with characteristics or idiosyncrasies or mannerisms. You can impose on him whatever you like. However, you wish your Jesus to be, that is, your Jesus. And that is why people can take him with them, and everybody has a different one, a different image in their head. I think that that's what we allowed in our film. The tens of thousands of letters that we got all said the same thing. It's exactly how I imagined him to be. On that level, we succeeded. We really did. We managed to make it so nonspecific. I once had a letter from someone who worked in an old people's home in South Africa. She said, I showed the film to the people at the home and I sat next to an unwell woman in her 80s. When it came to the crucifixion, I looked at her and she was sitting there with tears running down her face and a huge smile. She died two days later. That was the last image she had before she died. Wow. You suddenly realize the power of something like this. Phenomenal. I always try and play it down, but I've been gobsmacked over the years. I think that role and film has had such a hold on culture because we managed to reach such a big audience and because we were so nonspecific in our approach to Jesus. There are some other fantastic performances, like Paolini's in 1964, but for every person who says, what a great performance, you'll have 10,000 who say, that's not my Jesus, that's not how I imagined it, and therefore I can't watch it. By presenting them with something where they do all the work, then you can be Jesus for everybody. I never had anyone say, that's now how I imagined him to be. End of the interview quote by Robert Powell. There are only a few things I disagree with in his interview, and I'm not sure it's really totally disagreement. First, in the way he played it, Mr. Powell seems to me to have managed to combine in the portrayal. Remember, because of this problem that he talks about, trying to convey humanity and divinity and the idea of reverence, before Geoffrey Hunter in King of Kings, 
you never saw the face of Jesus in any movie. And remember, though, how powerful in the movie Ben-Hur, the moment when a hand gives Judah Ben-Hur water, and it is purported to be the hand of Jesus. Because betrayal is all it can be, a way to access our Lord of the human and divine by his very approach. Powell, I think, captured visually and vocally in a strange way the very mystery of the two natures of the second person of the Trinity. I think, in a way, that God himself infused into the actor, call it grace, a way to peer into the mystery, which is why people saw what they saw in the performance. A human being could never be or play God. And there, in a way, the phrase, a God, is disrupting because that's kind of what Jehovah's Witnesses have done, made Jesus a created being, a kind of a lesser God, close to God himself, but not of the same essence. That's actually been a long-time heresy that was battled way back in the church's history. A human being, an actor or otherwise, cannot conceive of the hypostatic union between the two natures, God and man. As Mr. Powell said, you'd go crazy trying to do it, and those who try or might try would likely fail by not trying to convey the mystery he was allowed somehow to in fact convey it that could be the very hand of god suffusing the performance because as he says people saw jesus i would propose that it wasn't just their jesus but the jesus that was conveyed to them through the performance. One of the moments in the documentary, The Search for the Real Jesus Program, was a priest who talks to Powell and says he became a priest after watching the 1977 movie when he became older. I don't think it was that it was the imprinting of his view of Jesus on the performance. I think that he saw the real Jesus through the iconic performance. I say iconic deliberately because of what icons do for the person who sees them, who prays using them. That's where a lot of non-Catholics just don't get us Catholics. They think, or other Christian denominations don't get us Catholics. They think that we worship statues and pictures. We do not. What those pictures do, just like a photograph of your mother or your father, is to bring us limited creatures to a taste of the essence of things, the piercing of the cloud of unknowing that we will not pierce until we die. In an article in the National Catholic Register of November 6, 2011, the concept is that the icon opens a window to heaven. You've heard the phrase glimpse of paradise. It's another example of it. I think that Mr. Powell as an actor did what an icon does. I'm going to read a little bit from the article. It talked about a man who talked about actually two men who do icons. 
The one man said he never signs his work, and you will notice that most icons don't have signatures because an icon must be transparent. The artist should not get in the way. Part of the artist's transparency is accessing the spiritual through prayer and fasting during the creative process because the images are considered sacred objects. They're, call them sacramentals, they're a key to accessing the essence. Another iconographer in the article said that in response to the objection to icons, remember that is what iconoclast means, the destruction of icons. There was a whole movement in which this happened and only in some very remote monasteries were icons saved. I think one was the monastery of St. Catherine. So the response to the objection is that they are a means, an access point by which God's grace comes into our lives. They evoke the mystery, the truth of things. I've said that I have a really, really hard time praying and I have you know, gotten rosaries and uh, prayers and all sorts of things to try to help me access my prayer life. I mean, when I'm home, I'm okay when I'm at mass or I'm at a community prayer meeting, I can focus pretty well. But when I'm home alone in prayer, I have an enormous problem. I bought an icon of the Sacred Heart online a while ago, and I added it to a little corner of my bedroom that I already had a kneeler and a couple of crucifixes. One is a crusader crucifix from when I was in Israel. Another was the, the wood cross from the funeral of a friend of mine. And I put up this icon painting of the sacred heart of Jesus. I have found and again, I'm very imperfect at it, but I'm doing it more and more, that when I'm able to settle before it in prayer and I look into the eyes of this icon, something does happen. I find myself truly thinking of the incarnate Lord, focused on him because this tangible piece of art does something. It centers me. So, in a way, by doing what he did, Robert Powell, by avoiding trying to cast his self onto the portrayal of Jesus, he did what the icon effectively does. He brought us, he directed us to the real Jesus of Nazareth, he who is true God and true man. When people say, oh yeah, Jesus, this nice guy who said really important things about how to treat one another, but ignore the part that he was the Messiah, that he came to die for our sins, that he said so, that he said he'd be resurrected, although they didn't understand his saying it, and that he would be joining his Father in heaven at his right hand, and that he would be with us always until the end of the world, that reduces God and Jesus, true God and true man. Because, as has been written many places, if he said the things that got him killed in the first instance, he was either a lunatic, a liar, or it was true. Why would you give any credibility to a lunatic or a liar? 
on the basis of his claims and that which is reputed to have happened, that his claims were true, it is based on these things that the faith has lasted through the muck and the mire created by our own laity and leaders and everybody else for 2,000 plus years. I'm aware of the disputations about whether he actually ever said he was God. In the next podcast related to this same subject, I will go through some of the things that were said in the Bible and some of the things that are said in the Catechism. I'm going to focus, I think, on the Catechism of the Council of Trent because I think it's also very elegant in its explanations. And and talk about the things that suggest very strongly, aside from the fact that the faith has lasted all these years, that he was, in fact, God and man. But the fact that he said it was what the leaders of his own faith thought he was saying and had them rending their garments. And the very people who followed him saw how hard the stuff he was saying was, and yet some of them did in fact continue to follow him. The reason Catholics don't say sola scriptura, solely the scripture, is because the New Testament was, well, it's one reason, I'm sure there are lots of other reasons, is that the New Testament was written 75 to 100 years after the events it records. So there has to have been interpretation before and some interpretation that occurred later. Its interpretation is what birthed tradition and the magisterium. What the problem often is with the fractures in Christianity is that everyone gets to interpret and kind of be, as even Catholics are being right now, their own private popes. And that's why so much of Catholic behavior is so problematic, because it reinvents what tradition, magisterium, council upon council, deep-seated thought after much prayer established based upon someone's feeling rather than scripture, reason, or faith. Some key things Jesus said. I know some will disagree or point out that other things he said contradict it, but that's just why the councils and magisterium make sense because they settled what people constantly want to dispute. To the extent that humans can know the triune God in their own limitations, there has been great thought given to many of the questions that people now answer with their own feelings rather than study. Catholics in the last 60 years have done that. Even Catholics will tell you things like, there's no sin, there's no hell, there's no worry about our eternal souls. If Jesus is either lunatic or liar, then for many of us, there's no point to him. The Eucharist means nothing. Then I can invent my own faith or go to a faith that still waits for a Messiah for redemption or find a faith that lets me transform myself into my own God. So who do I say Jesus is? Well, I say he is what my Catholic faith teaches. And next week, I'll go into some of that in more detail. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. You can find it on Podbean, TuneIn, Amazon, 
Audible, I think, Spotify, pretty much a lot of the platforms, and it's free, of course, and that's even nicer. I truly feel blessed to be able to do this. It's exciting, it's difficult, it's rewarding, and I think it's part of the grace that helps me continue being a Catholic.